Brian Millsap, chairman and CEO of Atlanta-based Black Hall Studios, is one of today's top entertainment executives with a vision for Black Hall that's ambitious, energizing, and boundless. Millsap is blazing a trail through the heart of the South and setting his sights on the future of entertainment. Listen and learn as Ryan Millsap journeys through the myriad industries, people, and landscapes that traverse the complex and dynamic world of film production. Welcome to the Black Hall Studios podcast. We here at the podcast are just as happy as you are that 2020 is in the rearview mirror. The studio is a ghost town for six months, and I'm happy to say we're filming multiple projects now. Along the way, we had to re-engineer our entire HVAC system to provide for the safety of our movie crews. Yeah, I'm looking forward to 2021 bringing us all a little more prosperity. We begin our second year of this podcast, and I'm as excited today as I was in the beginning. Thank you for listening in, and know that we definitely appreciate you being here with us. Today on the podcast, I welcome someone whose work I know you're familiar with, and it gives me great pleasure to introduce you to the magnificent talent behind the tunes, Mr. Brian Brazier of Pitchhammer Music. Providing high-end tracks to major motion pictures, Pitchhammer represents a talented group of composers and songwriters. Their work has set the tone for films like The Joker with Joaquin Phoenix and acclaimed director Sam Mendes' groundbreaking film 1917. Here's a few more shows and movies that have benefited from the talent of Brian Brazier, his partner Vagar Mar Garrison, and the Pitchhammer music team. Stranger Things, Ready Player One, Star Wars The Last Jedi, Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle, Deadpool 2, Jurassic World 2, Dunkirk, The Jungle Book, and The Lion King. If that's not an amazing list, I don't know what is. He's got an amazing backstory, like being one of the founding members of the American rock band Creed. Brian Brazier's got the talent, the skill, and the vision for quintessential audio design for the always hungry world of entertainment. I know you're going to enjoy this interview. I know I did. I welcome Brian Brazier. Hi, this is Ryan Millsap. Welcome to the Black Hall Studios podcast. Today, we have on the podcast Brian Brasher, who's the president and CEO of Pitch Hammer Music. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ryan. So, you've had quite a career, you know, rock musician, world famous, transitioning into doing all sorts of music for film and television. Tell us about how that transition happened. Well, I started out um, as a uh, guitar player as a kid and um, you know, just grew up with a heavy diet of just learning all my favorite guitar players note for note. Went to college at Florida State, quickly realized I loved the business side of music as much as I did uh, playing and performing. Shortly after, moved to Atlanta after I graduated and had an opportunity out in LA to go into the music licensing business, which I had no idea about at the time. A friend of mine at BMG um, offered me an opportunity to handle their broadcast blanket licensing, which basically means uh, you know where we take a catalog of music and provide it to editors and producers to use in their marketing campaigns and their promos and things like that. So that was sort of my introduction into that world, built my client base and quickly went over to a larger music library called APM Music, who is the leading uh, production music uh, provider in that world. They wanted me to focus on uh, the trailer music division, which I had no idea was a niche at the time. Movie trailers. Yeah, so movie trailers, promos, all the music that kind of creates the emotion for those you know, those visuals and those marketing campaigns. 
comedy, fantasy adventure, you know, that creepy horror kind of stuff. Um, so we take some of those and, um, you know, put this different spin on them. We just did one recently with uh, Imagine by John Lennon. We partnered with Downtown Music Publishing and uh, took that and made a big orchestral version. One of our composers uh, wrote it. And um, where, we, where we took it and made it um, just big and over-the-top orchestral, I can play you a piece of I'd it. I'd love so to you, hear a piece so you, of it. So you can get and an where, idea. Did, where did you guys do that? I, there's not very many orchestral uh, sound stages in Atlanta. Did you do that in LA or? Yeah, we, we did it out in LA and, um, you know, some of the uh, bigger trailers that we do, a lot of times we'll go to Prague and you know, different places to record because the well. musicians are more it's inexpensive really, and accessible or. Yeah. A lot of it, a lot of it's that. And, uh, you know, just accessible and they're great players and we've got a long relationship with some of them and some of the contractors over there that put it all together where you can just go in record and, you know, get in and out. We've actually tried to do quite a bit in uh, Georgia uh, with Jennifer Barlamont at the uh, Atlanta Symphony. Uh, we've been talking with them. It's just trying to clear some of the, you know, the red tape with being able to utilize the players here locally, you know, so we could bring more revenue into Georgia too. So. That'd be great. Yeah. Is there a facility that's a good soundstage scoring facility in, in Georgia? There's not. And that's, that's one area that I know you and I've discussed before too, is, you know, possibly, you know, discussing something like that um, where there's definitely a need and it's something that hasn't been done here yet. So well, we should talk about that after that. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Play me, play me this piece that you guys did. The uh, imagine piece. That's just sort of the back end of it, right? It's a longer track, but uh, yeah, yeah right. gives you the idea. Well, but the, the, but there's no vocals; it's just all orchestral. Yeah, that one's more orchestral, and we just did that by design. Uh, the composer had the idea to do it, so it was one of our main guys, and he um, he had the idea to do it. And I did never picture it being just instrumental that way. Um, and then he came back, and I, I thought it was very cool. What, what did, uh, now you layered that into something for the Olympics? Is that what you said? Well, we provide the music, so we actually, the way that works is we provide the catalog and the editors and producers at NBC, Fox Sports, you know, whoever it may be, or the movie trailer houses that edit the trailers, they have access to our catalog and they dig through it like you would with images, trying to find the right, the right fit. Um, that one in particular we pitched, so we actually pitched it to them for the idea um, of the Olympics and it ended up landing. So... Um, it's, can it, people it, find that? Like, if, if I want to go s see the place that was used with video and everything, is that on the internet right now? Yeah, you should be able to find that spot. Usually, NBC will you know put them on their social media, and um, their social media or their site. Or you know, I know they were promoting it when it was coming out a few weeks ago. They started running the teasers and the promos for it. Um, but you should be able to find it on you know, Vimeo or YouTube. Or so something around NBC Tokyo Olympics 2021. 2021. Yeah. If I Google that, I might come up with. Uh, yeah, and you may be able to search Pitch Hammer along with it because oh, there you go. on YouTube, a lot of it, you search Pitch Hammer and a lot of our music comes up in hobby made videos or you know, different different things that people find our music. So, And we're about to launch it, launch the whole label actually right now, the catalog, which we've never done on Spotify and all the digital service providers like Apple Music and and those things. So uh, people can buy the music you've created. 
Yeah, they'll be able to stream it. Some of the uh, cover, like trailerized and vocalized things, um, will be available for streaming only. Um, but most people are streaming anyway, um, just due to the publishing and things that we can't clear. Mm-hmm. Um, so they can't download it, but you can stream it. Um, What's the difference between trailerized and vocalized? So trailerized is um, a concept. I was. Uh, it was early on, back when the uh, social network, that movie came out about Facebook. And the trailer came out, and I'd never seen anything like it. It was an editor, I think, at Mark Wolin, uh, which did is did Trent of, Reznor do that? Yeah, he did the score. The score. He did yeah. such a great job. That was an incredible. Oh, movie. It, was, the score it was amazing. Was amazing. Yeah, and it, uh, it was amazing because it was done so differently than a typical score. Too. And then did he win an Oscar for that? Yeah, I think he did. Yeah, he did. Amazing. But we, um, yeah, so we normally come in. Yeah, they'll they'll have the uh, score composer, you know, scoring the film. And we actually create the music for the marketing campaigns, which is the trailers and the uh, promos, which is two different things because the uh, you know, the score a lot of times doesn't compete with the dialogue mm-hmm. and things like that. And then the trailer is supposed to almost knock you out of your seat, make you want to come see this thing. You know, it's an opposite kind of method the way we do it or the way it's done. And um, yeah, so we uh, that trailer came out and they had used a Radiohead song but an out of context, unique cover version where it was a children's choir singing. Um, I don't know if you remember that or not, but I don't. It was but I'm very gonna go, cool. I'm gonna go look it up later. Yeah, it was very cool. And so I caught on to that. I, I said, "Man, that's that could be a cool trend." So I told my business partner Vagar, uh, Mark Garrison, um, who's an amazing film trailer composer as well, um, that we needed to build a label called Trailerized. And um, this is probably back in. I don't know when that movie came out. I'm guessing maybe 2015, 16, something like that. Um, so at the time, I was like, we need to build, just you know, start partnering with some of the publishers and get a list of their songs that we could cover and almost help them break artists, um, you know, re- revitalize songs that are deep in the catalog, maybe that no one's heard or this generation hasn't heard, and make unique cover versions of them, you know, to trigger people to go out and check it out and you know, land it in a marketing campaign. So we. Trademarked the word trailerized and vocalized, started developing labels. And trailerized is really taking a song, a popular song or an indie artist song, and just making our unique cover of it, usually hiring another vocalist or somebody to do it as well, and either do an instrumental like we did with Imagine or, you know, taking the vocal and just kind of turning it on its head so you don't really recognize it at first, but you might hear the lyric and go, oh, wait, you know, I know that song. And, um, so that's the trailerized version. It's like building big, over-the-top music with it. Or it could be dramatic. It doesn't have to be over-the-top. Um, and then vocalized was a concept. One of my best friends, uh, Sonny Del Grasso, um, who, who's just a great marketing, branding genius, um, him and I would go to these happy hours, and we would just brainstorm ideas. And he, he and I just came up with this concept at the time, how cool it would be to have, you know, we know how editors take different sounds and different music and drop it into their commercials or their, you know, whatever they're editing a promo or TV show. But how cool would it be to have a toolkit of vocals only and without all the music? So that's where Vocalize came in. Vocalize almost offers you a toolkit of vocals that are just dry vocals that you could drop in. And I'm going to play you an example of that too, just so you get the idea. Demons hide, where my demons hide, don't 
you already had music put in your session, you could drag a vocal into it. So that gives you an yeah, idea. I love this. So, it's, but it, it's 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 covers. Yeah. So it's cover songs, but done uniquely with a different voice than you'd be expecting, and and some of them like that. Yeah, if you used it dry, dry in a, a dramatic trailer or a horror trailer, you, you could almost just set it in there with no music, and it you would know, have a big impact. Have you so, used that one? Is there? Is there? We haven't music? actually. We haven't done that one. We're kind of newly launching that, so mm-hmm. I have no doubt it's going to land in some places. But. And and so right now you're creating all the library. Yeah, so you're just cranking out. Just you're bringing in singers, producing it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and that's what we do. We kind of proactively, you know, just build this catalog. So that we can provide it to the uh, all the studios, all the TV networks, all, just any ed- anyone that needs music, um, which is anything and everything. Um, so even down to Georgia Pacific, you know these random things you wouldn't think of that need tons of music for their corporate videos, their human resource videos, all that stuff you just don't really even think about. But they need tons of music. But there's some editor, right? yeah. there's some producer, some director, some editor, yeah, that's working on this program for Georgia Pacific, right? And they got to, they're trying to and gather usually, the the necessary ingredients. Yeah, it's almost like here at Black Hall. So these guys come and film the movie for two years, right? That's and right. they'll film it and feed all that footage to our trailer houses, which are the little agencies that we work with day to day. There's about forty five plus agencies out in L.A. called trailer houses, and they're they're the ad agencies that. But their sole purpose is to cut movie trailers or Netflix promos and you know, all the streaming services promos. Um, so they, they, um, you know, so the example, they'll film here for two years, but through that time be feeding footage to create teasers to tease that movie as it's coming up, um, maybe even a year out. So they'll create a teaser, you know, when you see that coming next year kind of thing. Um, so what they'll do is start sifting through our catalog. And, you know, our competitors' catalogs, whatever it may be. Um, and they'll sift through it once they have the footage, because now you've got this footage and you got to make it, you got to create an emotion to it. So you pair music up to it or sounds, you know, if it's a horror thing, just lots of stuttering sounds and, you know, chaos. So um, that's that's typically how it works. And if they're not finding what they need, we're, we're a go-to resource for custom, like the Joker thing we did. Um, so... On those, they they reach out to us and say, "Hey, we've got this idea. What can we do?" And then we start concepting it with them. What's the music need to feel like? Sound like? What are you trying to? What kind of emotion do you want the audience to feel? And that's really and, raw scoring. Yeah, and that's where we do. So we'll take that from top to bottom and score the whole thing, um, just like you would a movie, but it, instead of it's a, a minute and a half, two minute trailer, and we'll just score it from top to bottom and come up with the idea. And then if they uh, a lot of times, if, if that's still not working, they'll enhance it with other, other tracks, right? And pull other tracks and put them in the piece. So yeah, it's kind of a way it works. But going back to the difference, so you heard that you heard that uh, reference of vocalized, how dry it was, and then the trailerized version. Other than imagine, I wanted to give you one more little sample. This is a back half of a uh, promo. I think they're using for the. I know we just landed it. We landed it for the Hannah promos. Um, I think that was on Hulu or, or Amazon. Um, the show, Hannah. Yeah, the show, Hannah. So we did a version of Ellie Goulding's Burn, um, and we uh, we originally did it, one of our writers, or two of our writers actually did versions, and um, they were doing it so we could pitch it for the rock movie that the Towering Inferno or that you know, was burning down. Oh, right, right. right. I with, can't remember the name Dwayne of it. Johnson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we were going to uh, going to pitch it for that. That was the one where I think he had like a uh, an artificial arm. 
Right. Right. And yeah. He, and he was like, he was like a supposed to be like a, a, a middling executive. Yeah. And gets caught in this caught towering this inferno. Yeah. This, I don't remember the name of the movie, but I, I don't either. Yeah. I could see his face. But they like tried to make him look a little less. Yeah. Cool and a little more like like a business guy. Or yeah. Something. Uh-huh. Yeah. So we uh, you know we study the uh, productions coming out usually ahead of time like two years so we know how many fantasy adventure movies how many drama movies how many you know just like any business would you want to study and know what do we need to feed because we're constantly feeding our catalog to build it so do we need to do you know three drama albums three action albums you know whatever it is and one of our writers said oh there's this movie coming out you know about this building burning down I want to do that Ellie Golding Burn song. And so we did it and didn't end up landing that one, but it's landed in the Hannah promos promoting that. Um, we just landed it in a PGA, like you're promoting the PGA tour. Um, it's about to launch in a few weeks, I think. Um, so I was going to play you. Yeah, piece, play it for me. I want to play a piece. This is the back half of it, the promo, because it's a longer version, but I'm going to play you the promo version. And we're going to let it Love this. Isn't it cool? So cool. Thanks, man. Yeah, that is such a great And idea. you can hear how it's oh. like No, the, the emotion of it. Yeah. Could feel it. It definitely feels like competition. Yeah. And it just yeah, it could work for a lot of things. So mm-hmm. and that's the thing, it's non exclusive, so unless you know a client wanted to license it exclusively and pull it from the catalog, but you know, so we will license pay per use. Yeah, we'll license that over and over for different you know, uses, whatever the, whatever the fit is, you know, Yeah, which is cool. And we can customize them. Like if you didn't like the female vocalist, we can put a male vocal on there. Right. Um, we just did. But you have to get people back into the studio. Yeah. And redo it. Yeah. But it's, yeah, yeah that's the fun part anyway. Yeah, that's so, right. yeah. <laughs> Any excuse to get to the studio. Right. So I actually just, we actually just did one. A friend of mine uh, who I went to college with at Florida State is uh, John Hopkins. The, uh, he plays multi-instruments for Zach Brown band. And, um, he uh, he has three just beautiful daughters, and one of them I believe is around eleven. I may be saying their ages wrong. Forgive me, John. And uh, but they uh, we had this idea where how cool would it be to do like some '80s songs or some different songs, but have a kid almost creepy for horror stuff like a kid saying these adult you know adult lyrics. Do you have any of those? I don't I don't think I have the sample. If you give me a minute I could find it probably or a demo. Yeah, I'll, I'll play I'll for you later. I think that sounds amazing. <laughs> uh, but we did one that we're about to release from the song Always Something There to Remind Me. And it's his little daughter like speaking it and it's it's pretty dark. <laughs> I mean it's it's dark intentionally, you know. Yeah. It's, it's geared towards like it's like a little girl speaking on a horror movie where it's just creepy just because, right? Well, uh, no music. It's just it's just well, this one actually will have music to it. Okay. Yeah, so it's a trailerized version that. But, but it's we'll music probably, behind, and she's just speaking. Yeah, she's almost talk singing the mm-hmm. lyrics, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah, I'll play it for you. I'm gonna dig it up later. Definitely, just play the that. demo. So yeah, we do kind of unique things like that where we can you know just you almost you're always just trying to push outside the box, you know, um, just to. Uh, well, how, how much do you love imagination? 
Imagination. Just you, imagination, like yeah. imagination in life. Like it seems it, when I'm when I'm listening to you talk about uh, this process, yeah, and the joy that I can see that you take in everything from the beginning of the idea to the execution, yeah, of this new form of you know whatever you're doing. That whole process is an imaginative process. Yeah, I yeah I agree. I, I didn't know where you're headed, but I I agree. At the that part of it's always I think been a big part of me just in. Even being the little kid that wouldn't leave my room playing the guitar and just visioning being this big rock star, you know, someday kind of thing. And then even now in business, I, I feel like I always just kind of, you know, I know a lot of people say it. I've even heard them on your your podcast, which I totally appreciate is, you know, just vision it and think about it later. Vision it, make it happen. You know, just start. Just start it and jump in and do it. But, um, yeah, so... I feel like my imagination runs wild with a lot of things and just, I love to just vision it and kind of dive in and let it lead itself there, you know? How do you think the soul of a imaginative music composer composer mm-hmm. is different than the experience of a lot of other people? Like, I mean, obviously you don't know what it's like to be other types of humans and other types of souls. Right. But how do you, um, how do you perceive the difference between your life experience as a soulful music creator right is there music everywhere do you see right. notes like a like a mathematical genius or ha, ha, explain what that what that life experience is like for somebody that has such an imaginative creative musical orientation of the world i think for me i, I mean that's i think you're describing my uh, business partner more on the uh, visualizing visualizing musical notes because he's you know he's the you know just well-trained musician school trained i'm more of the play-by-ear like really vision it because I don't really even understand it other you know the theory and things um, which is interesting because when him and I first got together and would jam and start composing music together before we launched Pitch Hammer um, you know I felt intimidated because he he was like what are we playing what scale is this what you know what notes are these and I have you know I just play by feel and I play by ear and um, so I was a little intimidated because I mean he, I, he knows it up and down can speak it you know flush the toilet tell you what key it's in that kind of thing, which is just, and I mean, seriously, his pitch perfect ear. And um, so, yeah, in, in his, I feel like he probably sees musical notes, whereas I kind of just, I feel it and, and I feel it and I can kind of hear ideas and things and whether that relates to business too. I mean, you'll vision, vision something and it's more of um, like the 25 uh, year old Ryan, you know, saying um what what was it uh vision without capital is misery, is misery. and i love that line <laughs> yeah I, I love that line in the way that it's so true though because i mean and i'm i for one is a lot of entrepreneurs are uh you've got all these ideas and visions that are just waiting to jump out of you and you know you want to execute and um so i as far as how it relates to the regular person um I think they probably enjoy it from the outside and we're enjoying it from the inside, maybe if that makes sense. Well, uh, how, how often are you in your life experience hearing music, um, imagining new music, having things just appear kind of like in your, in your soul, like you're like, yeah. you, you're, you're writing um, scores for life right. inadvertently. Is yeah. that a natural, like, something that's happening going on with you? I'm not writing scores. When I walk through, <laughs> I'm not putting music to my life experience right. inadvertently. I'm putting words yeah. to my life experience. I definitely get spoken to by poets 
right? The poet poems that I've memorized, poem poems that I've encountered, um, the 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 souls of these poets that are infusing their interpretation of life on my experience in that I'm experiencing something that reminds me of a poem, right? So right. what I'm wondering, and and I'm not a poet, but I but I have a but it speaks fairly, to you. But I have a fairly poetic soul, right? Right. The the fabric of life feels poetic to me, but in a much more linguistic way. And maybe that's true for you too, because like uh, songwriters are obviously right, very poetic. How do how does music and language interact with your life experience inadvertently? Not the stuff where you're like, I'm going to focus in here, right? And I'm going to tap into my imagination because I have a job to do. Yeah. Versus like just the natural outflowing of like, would your life be a musical if that wasn't socially unacceptable? <laughs> That's interesting. Um, I think for me, it's, it, you know, in the, in the past when I was more hands on with the, uh, you know, performing and playing and music, I mean, it, at this stage in the game with the, the business, I'm running the business and my business partner manages, you know, all of our writers and produces, but I still try to be actively hands on with it just cause that's my love and my passion, like you said, and it's, deep in my soul and and um so where where that comes in for me is i i typically um have these ideas that i'll relay to vegar um and um he somehow you know he somehow brings them to life or helps me bring those to life musically you know being hands-on with the music um so i it's it's hard because like i said i i divide i have this struggle now between my creative and my business side because you're I love both, so it's just hard to hard to find time for both as business grows and as things you know kind of evolve and we get bigger and bigger and you're managing a machine. Um, so I don't know if that answered the question well, thoroughly, but well, I mean, it's it's both it's both life experience and it's a thought experiment around if you had, let's say that somebody handed you a billion dollars in cash, right, and they said, um, you you don't have to worry about your life being paid for the rest of your life. And you, you're not allowed to spend this wildly, right? Because we don't want you to ever be in a position where you don't have money. Right. So there's going to be some structure around it. You're only going to get $10 million a year. Okay. Right? And that's going to be plenty for yeah. the rest of your life. So you can do whatever you want. What does your day look like? You know, obviously there's a little bit of like decluttering. Right. The first thing that has to happen is you got to go find your soul again. Right. Like in a deeper way than happens when people are dealing with the day-to-day practical of whatever their career is. Right. But like getting back to that place where you find your soul. Now, let's say you probably have a pretty deep sense of who you are, like in your in your deepest, truest self. Right. Because you can't be an artist without a deep connection to that. Yeah. But then you can't do business without somehow losing a little bit of that. For sure. Because it becomes so practical. Right. So now you get to get get rid of all the practical. I like this. Right. What is your right? What does your day actually look like? That like show me the money. Show, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if only it were so easy. I know, right? Yeah. No, that's a great. It's it's a great visual because you're like, if someone handed you that, I would almost go back to my like you said, almost declutter my my mind in that you don't feel so restricted of like chasing the money and chasing that you know, chasing that build of building the business side of it. If it was just, if it was there and you could map out where, where you wanted to utilize it and where it would go. I mean, it sounds like a dream. And yeah, I would, I would be, uh, you know, I, I would focus more on my, you know, writing again, creating, but also just my love of helping other artists 
you know, rise, rise above and, and do pursue their dreams, you know, artists and companies and almost like an incubator for creatives in some ways where you could just, you know, help all these visions we have with trailerized, vocalized, all these different labels and different artists and, you know, just build the structure that I have up here in my mind that, you know, like you said, you can visualize, um, but being able to execute it, you know, by, uh, you know, taking the funds and using them wisely. You know, and and again, helping others achieve their dreams as well. What do you think the things when you think of of these young artists trying to achieve their dreams? What do you think some of the things that they're missing or need help with to be able to actually like manifest? A lot of it's the uh, you know they've got this great song or this great uh, you know track if you're a composer, um, and just knowing how to get it out there and what to do with it. You know, and finding labels like like Pitch Hammer that can help them get it out there and distribute it and get it licensed and, you know, help them, you know, see revenue that they wouldn't see otherwise. Um, you know, especially, you know, after COVID and you can't tour and you can't do these other things. I mean, licensing is a huge revenue stream that, you know, that can help an artist, you know, put it back into their career and just, you know, create their next album or, you know, whatever it is that their goal is as far as, um, as an artist. What are the coolest trends you see going on in music right now? Are there things that strike you that you think, God, that is unbelievable? Yeah, I'm. I'm it trying. could be business. It could be artistically. Yeah, um, I think, uh, like I said, I mean, the the coolest trend I think that we're doing is that trailerized and vocalized. I don't mean to harp on it, but it's just a cool. It's super cool. I think it's just a, a cool, unique way. I mean, we're not the only ones doing it, but we kind of had that vision a long time ago. And, um, but, uh, yeah, that, that's a great trend as far as, you know, the business side of things. I think it's just, you know, artists, you know, trying to find new avenues when you can't tour and things like that and being clever with these, you know, these live shows they're doing on Instagram and on, you know, different ways to reach people when you can't leave your house. Um, but also providing them, you know, just a smile on their face cause they can still, you know, watch live music from the, their home or whatever. So I, that's some of the good that COVID, you know, the last year has brought in, in just people trying to find other ways instead of the norm, you know, to reach people and reach new audiences and things like that. How do you think live music is going to be affected in the in the next 10 years post-COVID? It'll, it'll be interesting. I think, um, I think people, yeah, you know, a lot of people have adapted to some of these new things like staying at home, having a cocktail and, you know, watching it on, you know, on your you know, streaming it to your TV, you know, from uh, Instagram or something. Um, so I think some people have adapted that, but I think it'll be interesting to see. I mean, a live show now is just going to be a different experience, I think, than what we knew of like you going out and sitting on somebody's shoulders and, you know. Do you think that dies? I hope not. Um, it, what do you think? I mean, I, I think it's interesting. I, you know, I watch my kids you know, I've got three daughters, 16, 14, and 10. And I, and I watch what they're going through psychologically and they don't, they, you know, they're too young to necessarily be, well, I want to give them credit. They're pretty self-reflective. So it's not, I don't think that's totally non-conscious what they're experiencing, but what I watch them experiencing is this scarcity around uh, live and big group experience where my anticipation is that in a similar way to how uh, children of the depression treated food like it was precious and rare, uh, yeah, 
I think that children of COVID are going to treat live experiences like they're precious and rare. Oh, almost coming out of their shell and just exactly over enthusiastic, overly about it. enthusiastic. Like yeah. instead of taking for granted that they can go to a concert when their friend says, "Hey, do you want to go to this concert?" They're like, "Yeah." Yeah, it almost seems more special, right? Because you you never know when it's going to go grew away. Up and it was restricted. Yeah, right. It's super That's rest- interesting. I, yeah. So I think that I think that there's going to be this generation, mm-hmm. the 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 pre, um, the the under twenty five or whatever it is under twenty two for women. Whenever our brains like kind of fully develop, right? Right. So if your brain hasn't fully developed and COVID has a big impact on your pre fully developed brain and, and, and life experience, I think that for the rest of your life, you're going to value and hold as a precious experience, uh, large group live like action. group settings. Exactly. I love that. I, yeah. I agree with you. I mean, I, I think there's going to be a lot of ways that the economy will boom basically because, you know, you know, post vaccinations and things like that when people can get out and do things. I the mean, parties that people are going to throw restaurants, whatever. I mean, everybody just wants to get out. Right. I mean, so I'm, I'm, I kind of feel like that's where we're headed and I hope so. You know, it, it'll be nice to see. I, I, you know, I don't know how it's not going to be uh, a little bit of a feeling even like post world war two. Right. You look at those kind of like big parties and people kissing in the streets and just like, right. You know, letting loose um, yeah. the emotion that's been pent up of, Who's taking our world, and where? You know, why am I having to deal with all of this uh, change, right? And, and all of this stress, and uh, all of these sacrifices, right? You know, and and suddenly, like this, whenever it is. Now, again, it might won't, we might not get something as clean as as uh, VE Day, or you know, um, the end of a war, right? Right. But whenever it is that people actually feel like this is over, yeah. If we get that, I think there's going to be a lot of celebration. That that I don't Let's think say when we get that. When, yeah. Well, you know, we're we're gonna get there. I, I don't know if it's gonna be gradual, right? Right? You know, like if half the nation is ha, has received the vaccine, are there parties for vaccinated people? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, I don't know. So so I'm not sure how this whole thing transitions or when that moment is. Yeah. But whatever it is that people can actually collectively exhale yeah and feel like it's been defeated yeah i think we're going to surprise ourselves how much pent-up energy i 100 percent agree do you feel like can you see that in your kids i mean 100 percent them being locked down yeah oh my gosh yeah. i mean they're just you know they're they're troopers and they are adaptive adaptable and they um have a huge amount of of wherewithal yeah um but they're just over it yeah you know they want to they want to get back to regular life. They want to get back to school. I mean, they're in California, so they've been out of school for a year. Right. Um, That's gonna be hard. It's just yeah. brutal. I mean, my you know my oldest is a sophomore, so she spent half of her freshman year and half of her sophomore year on Zoom school. Wow. Um, you know, my youngest is ten. She's in fifth grade, and fifth grade. Imagine fifth grade. So half of fourth grade and half of fifth grade. What's going to turn out to probably be all of fifth grade. Wow. On Zoom And just school. missing that social, oh, the that only, social the, aspect. She's right? so like, social. She wants to yeah. be at school with her friends and laughing and playing and um, and having the in-between learning be socialization. Right. And that, and the, you know, the kids are missing that socialization that is enjoyable. Right. 
even yeah, it kind of builds their character and everything too. You know, yeah, so it's it's just, even when it's hard, it's, they're being socialized. But from a delight standpoint, they just delight in seeing their friends. Yeah, you know, and sharing all that life. I think that's where these imprints of this experience is going to make them a very special generation from a human intimacy level. Oh, I agree. Yeah. They won't take it for granted. Yeah. And I, I mean, there's even the, um, on the, on a setting going back to the musical stuff is, uh, you know, I have a lot of friends that now are doing collaborations and they're in four different corners of the world. Right. And they're doing these where you can see all four of them on a video zoom collaboration, like a zoom musical collaboration. And it's weird because it's just not the same, even as a musician, you know, you kind of want to be in the same room, feel it just like your kids wanting to be around their, their friends laughing and, yeah, things like that. You need that energy. You well, know? the difference between feeling the frequency, it's like going to, it'd be like going to a concert. I remember this concert I went to a long time ago, probably 1994, 1994. Right. And it was, um, God, what was that guy's name? Like Gil Shaham, maybe. He's a violinist. Okay. And I don't know for sure if that was his name, but that's what's popping in my brain. And, um, and we sat front row. At this at the this big um, symphony auditorium in Orange County, California, and he came out and and played really on the front edge of the stage, and so he, we were feet away wow. from him, right? And he's this virtuoso violinist, and we can hear his fingers touching every string. Incredible. And the experience of hearing all that music, but being that close to the sweat on his brow and his fingers touching the strings was energetically so different right than just listening that same um that same music in high definition halfway across the on world on a video or something on a video and so when you started talking about um the musicians being live with each other yeah it's impossible to recreate the energy absolutely that flows when you're right next to the people playing the music with you right. and it's not just about the music but it's about the vibration yeah Right. And getting lost in that. On yeah. Many just levels. that human chemistry and that energy, you know, the it's, human chemistry and the energy is, yeah. is, is impossible to replicate. Right. The internet can't contain or can't, <laughs> it can't transmit. Yeah. The human energy in the same way that we resonate with each other. Right. And so that element of the music has got to be, it's got to be a, a, a bizarre time for, for a sure. musician. That is so. You've spent your whole life doing jam sessions, right? And that's what you enjoy, and that's where the uh, the magic happens, right? Is when you're in a room with just you know a group of musicians and throwing ideas around. And you just feel the energy, you know. So yeah, it's got to be interesting because I hadn't, I haven't really been involved in a jam um, other than you know house parties at my place or something. Um, Wait, but, you're throwing house parties? Yeah, you're no. you're welcome. <laughs> See, no, no. We'll do those soon. Yeah. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. We're in yeah, Georgia. Exactly. There's no COVID in Georgia, so <laughs> right. it's fine. I'm not throwing house parties. Maybe five people. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to uh, be a bad influence on no. the world here. Yeah. <laughs> I think musicians should be allowed to throw house parties. Yeah. I, when I say far... house parties these days, it's about five people hanging I, out, having yeah, a cocktail. I, I guarantee yeah. you it's not the most dangerous thing the musicians have done. <laughs> right. 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 COVID is the least dangerous thing that they've done exactly. in the last five years. Exactly. Well, anyway, so you getting you still be able to get some people together. It's not like yeah. you're completely isolated and, and the musicians aren't all like you know, social distancing completely to where they don't get any of that. Right. But noticing that difference of vibration is the, is the thing that. Yeah. And the musical and for the fan, it's, you know, it's hard. Like you said, you just 
I mean, you're used to feeling that energy and just the whole environment of it, right? Um, where you just can't capture that sitting in your living room. It's the same with sports. On a, like on it, a TV, yeah. The, the difference between sitting right there, you know, courtside, NBA, yeah. and sitting 15 rows back is they're completely different experiences. Absolutely. And then leaving the stadium, watching it on television, really, if you're 15, 20, 30 rows up, yeah. Versus television, it's not that different, and television might be better. I say you might as well watch it on TV, right? I've always thought that when you go and it's all cool to be in the box. It, I never it's cool. The box. I don't either. I was yeah. gonna say because it's not you don't experience the event. I mean, you're experiencing a little a party up there, right? But you might as well be watching it on TV because I've seen concerts there, and we all have right concerts or sports or yeah, yeah. The difference between it's a different experience. Yeah. The difference between being 15 rows up and being in a box is energetically com- completely different. True. Yeah. Right? Because you at least feel the energy of the crowd. Right. Which I think is more true in football for yeah. some reason. Like a 100,000 people in a football stadium. Right. The energy is measurably different than 15,000 people in a NBA stadium. Right. I think. Yeah. It, it just it feels more... Well, you just feel the substance. Right. You feel the magnitude. Yeah. In a different way, which must be true... I mean, you've played. What do you think the biggest crowd you ever got to play in front of was? Um, I was kind of yeah. I was in the uh, in the band on the rise up in the band Creed on the rise up as we you know, did the college days and just doing the southeast and the yeah you know, the bar days and all that. And I never really did the huge audiences because I I decided to you know, yeah to, go a different direction. Yeah, I decided to depart and go into the business side. Didn't I was never like you know road trips and touring and all the uh, just being on the road madness um yeah just it just wasn't my thing um so i um played plenty of crowds but probably no more than like a house of blues style venue on the way up because the album you know when we first did that first album my own prison it was it was kind of on the rise up as i was on the exit out exit out yeah so but i loved it i mean i still love whether it's playing in front of five people like we said at my house parties so to speak or the uh, you know in a in a crowd this that size, I, there's something about just playing for people you know that's just the energy like what we're talking about. You just it inspires you and you know it just inspires you and makes you you want to create. But. What are the experiences of playing music for other people that most most stick with you? Like do you have so like that experience of going to that concert? I've been to lots of um, symphony opera those kind of experiences. Right. But this one particular one just like completely stands out because of the circumstance and the, who was playing and where we sat and all this kind of stuff. Do yeah. You, do you have experiences like that where you were playing, but they're so vivid that they stick with you? Yeah. I'm trying to, uh, trying to hone in on one. Um, cause I think they happen all the time. I mean, when you kind of get lost in the moment, whether it be in a song or, you know, closing your eyes and playing something, um, and maybe you just hit that right note or, you know, and you see, I, I look out and someone's reacting to it or, you know, and that, like I said, that can be, you know, doing a jam session with some friends at a party or something or at a big venue. It still has the same effect. You just see, you see people smiling and making them happy and, you know, it just resonates with you. You're in the zone. And you're in the zone. Yeah. It's almost like probably the same, same experience a athlete would have, you know, in, in a, in a game when you're, you know, just on your game, I guess. You're doing exactly uh, what the universe wanted you to do. Right. And you're, you're made seeing, to do. Yeah, and I don't you you see people enjoying that and it just yeah, it just 
I guess it just speaks to you, you know? Um, it's joy of it's, life, marrow of life. Yeah. Right there. When you're, when you're in that place where you are resonating not only with your own truth, yeah, but your truth is bringing joy to other people. Yeah. And just seeing them jump around. I remember doing, uh, shows at the dark horse tavern. I don't know if you remember that place in the Highlands. Um, it was on Highland Avenue. I've only lived here seven years. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that was back in the day. Yeah. Back in the day. It was, uh, so it's a little bar. I think it's called 10 high now over on, uh, right near Seren, a Thai place over in a Highland Inman park area. But it was just one of the venues like Smith's old bar and these venues that we used to play, um, in a band. I mentioned, uh, Sonny Del Grasso earlier, um, who, uh, helped us design the vocalized label. Um, and, um, him and I used to play in a band called Persona. This is post Creed when I'd moved to Atlanta and was working, uh, different, uh, you know, radio business and some, you know, on my way to LA for the music, uh, business stuff. And, um, yeah, we'd be playing these shows in the basement of, it, it's like one of those you picture in a, uh, like this indie bar that's like, you know, in a basement down there with a stage. And we just thought we were awesome. And just that feeling of even there was five people there, you know, that feeling of just getting on stage and just playing and seeing these people react to it. Was just, it Manchester? It's hard to describe it. Yeah. Was it Manchester or Birmingham? I can't remember where the Beatles played for, you know, hours and hours and hours, years and years and years, all these dive bars. Yeah. I think and, it was Manchester. And I think it was Manchester. Yeah. I think. And, um, and I know that there's been a lot of documentation about how much development happened for them in those years. Yeah. But also how much joy they took in retrospect. Yeah. Of the, of that experience. Of that experience. And, 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 there's, and just how pure in, on many levels, the pre fame, the pre global fame. Yeah. Experience of loving their music and playing it and evolving it in front of these crowds that they got to know. Yeah. And who got to know them. I think a lot, yeah, and a lot of my, you know, artist friends that are, you know, in big bands like Collective Soul, Zach Brown, some of these bands. Um, what's interesting is, you know, you think you want to, you know, you're striving to get to these huge stadium kind of things, but those moments and those little dive bars are some of the best that you'll, cause so a lot of them, that's why they end up doing those kind of unannounced, you know, club shows and tours because you want to experience that intimate like there's 20 people in the room, you know, it's just, it's a different vibe, I think, than, you know, looking out at a sea of people, you know. Well, you see, you and know, the energy. You, yeah, you get to feel the energy yeah. of proximity yeah. and intimacy. Yeah. It's probably lacking at, at uh, glass. At a big venue or something. Yeah. 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 <laughs> at a big venue. Yeah. yeah. Although there's a lot of people on shoulders and <laughs> right. like waving flags. And it's got to feel very surreal. Yeah. Right. That big rock star cold play moment. Right. But it's different than, you know, seeing, you know, 10 people down here just, you know, and you're right in, you're right with them, you know? Right. Uh, and they and you know, they're not necessarily, they're not there out of, um, social forcing, like a social obligation, right. right? Where like people are at, uh, Glastonbury or, um, just for the event of just it, just for the event of it. Right. Versus in that situation. Yeah. They're there for the music. Yeah. Right. And they and they're forced on many levels to only be there for the music because the venue's so small. Right. So that yeah, you're just that's what you're there for. It's yeah. not like if you were a professor teaching five hundred kids and you know that two hundred of them are 
not paying any attention. Right, that they could care less. They could care less. Yeah. And if you're in these big venues, how many times you look at and you realize these people aren't paying attention right. at all. They're like, you know, having a chicken fight <laughs> and, and jumping around. Yeah. And jumping right. Right. Whereas in a small setting, then we can't hide. Right. And you have to give the the musician uh, and the music actual attention. Just the actual attention. Yeah. 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 Okay. So we're running out of time, but I want to ask you a question about. So you're you know you guys have built this really cool business. What what are some of the things you're imagining over the next five years? Um, well, we, um, we recently just partnered, so we've, we've grown pitch hammer to, uh, you know, be one of the go-to resources in the trailer music world, as well as just uh, custom music, you know, resource for all the custom things we do, whatever it may be, uh, for your music needs. But we, um, we recently partnered with APM music. Um, I didn't really go into detail on that earlier, but I had worked for them for years, which is where I met Vagar. Um, he had been composing for the APM libraries and, um, that's where him and I got onto a project together where I was doing the guitars and, and, um, you know, writing some of the melodies and he was doing the strings and piano, kind of a Coldplay vibe, um, for an album that we were doing for APM and we became friends and decided, Hey, why aren't we doing this ourselves and launch pitch hammer? Um, and that was about nine years ago. And we, um, so we've grown that catalog since then to be a go-to resource in that world um, for the studios, for the trailer houses, broadcasters, video games, um, everything that needs music. And um, we've circled back, and one of my mentors, Adam Taylor, who's the president of APM Music, um, has been very good to Vagar and I over the years. And um, we just have a long long relationship with him. Um, so we circled back because a- APM kept getting requests for stuff that sounded like Pitch Hammer. Um, so he'd flattered with that, flattered us with that a while back, and we decided how can we, how can we reach APM's audience because they have a much broader client base. We're focused on the trailer world um, and known in that world. So we were like, how can we join forces with them? So we just created a catalog called Annihilation, powered by Pitchhammer, that we're about to launch. And Annihilation. Yeah, so it has a strong name. I was going to say that's right? very, very heavy metal. Yeah, Annihilation. It's very trailer and metal and, yeah, all that. So we, um, and I'm a metalhead at heart anyway. But we... Um, I think all guitar players are. <laughs> I know. So we, um, we're we about to launch that. Actually, next week is the first five albums launch on APM Music. Um, so um, if you're in that space, check it out um, at apmmusic.com and look for Annihilation. But... Um, what that's going to be is it's it's a collection of the Pitch Hammer catalog that we'll uh, be releasing through APM, and you're just providing them new music to build that label and reach their client base. So we're doing that, and we're building uh, the vocalized and trailerized uh, series, which we spoke on earlier, um, just to just recreate popular songs and even newer artist songs. Maybe they've got a, a song that they're trying to break, some independent artist. Um, that we can take and kind of make a unique spin on it, um, even create a TikTok version, whatever. You know, something that the kids love to do their TikToks to. So that's a huge trend when we were talking about trends earlier. But I think that's cool. Like, yeah. You're more like specialized. Yeah, specialized where there's a lot of stops and mm-hmm. breaks and stuff that they can you know, do their do their little videos to. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's another area that we're growing. And then, um, you know, we're building an artist series, which is more song related where we'll we'll uh we'll kind of give artists briefs so that they can write to a topic you know maybe write about heartbreak write about you know 
sadness, w- whatever it may be, right? Help give them some structure so they're not just free floating. Yeah, or yeah, some of them. It's good to let them free flow, but it's cool to give them a topic too and say, "Hey, you write something about this." Um, some of the best stuff is all created with um, restriction. Yeah, yeah, and so what's good about that is we, then we can gear it towards you know popular TV shows like Grey's Anatomy or House or you know these shows that love to you know use songs throughout the show and even a lot of the Netflix shows are doing this. So we, um, we're building an artist series in that way where it'll be more vocal driven and, you know, song driven. Um, in addition to just the trailer, uh, trailer content that we're, we're providing. But Actually, when you just said that, it made me think that, um, a lot of this kind of trailerized vocalized stuff is, is on the, uh, Netflix show Bridgerton. Oh yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. I noticed a lot of it throughout the show, throughout the show where they did classical versions of a lot of these popular songs. I heard Taylor Swift in there. There was um, there was a ton in there, actually. A ton of cool stuff. I mean, yeah. I, I thought that was one of the more innovative. Yeah. And I, I hadn't actually made that connection between what you were t- talking about and what you're doing. Yeah. And what they did in that show. That was a very cool. Yeah. I thought that was well done. So it's along the same lines. Um, we've actually got a series that we did um, called Fun Classical Covers, where we took a bunch of classical in a similar vein. But it was... Ours are more suited to, to the campaign, like the marketing campaign. Um, those were actual for, for the show. But we, uh, yeah, just took a bunch of old, you know, famous classics and uh, put a different spin on them. Uh, if people want to find you on the internet, on social media, how do they do it? Uh, they can check us out at uh, our company, pitchhammermusic.com. Um, and we also have annihilationtracks.com, uh, which will be, as I said, be available at 8 p.m music uh starting next week um and available for licensing and um and you can search me um and reach out to me if you'd like brian brazier on uh on instagram twitter uh, yeah, yeah probably TikTok. best on, on linkedin yeah <laughs> on linkedin <laughs> yeah and check out my tiktoks they're, they're pretty incredible got about you, 10 million followers i yeah. don't i wouldn't doubt that a bit <laughs> yeah right <laughs> if you produced them you might yeah. create quite a quite a channel yeah Anyway, Brian, thanks for being here today. This has been outstanding. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I'm Ryan Millsap. Thanks for listening to the Black Hall Studios podcast. Thanks for listening to the Black Hall Studios podcast with Ryan Millsap. We want to hear from you. Find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Spotify. And follow us on Instagram at at Black Hall Studios and at Ryan.Millsap. Black Hall Studios.